Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. Office has a verse that sounds very simple, but there's a depth into it. He says, "Ma dar sahar dar rahe mikhane nahadim, masule da dar bar janane nahadim." He says, "I paved the road to the wine house from what I gain out of my." Midnight cries. Midnight cries. It's a good one to start with. What does it feel like? The idea of a midnight cry, you know, to me brings up two things really clearly. One is that, you know, you're expressing because a cry is an expression, and it's not just any kind of an expression. You know, it's a, it's a deep utterance. There's a lot of emotion behind it. You know, there's a lot of of energy poured behind that. It's a cry versus just a, something that you say. So whatever it is that you're crying about, it means something really important to you. I think that's one piece. And the idea of it being at midnight, I think is really an important signifier because it's saying, this is a time when most people are asleep. This is a time when everyone else is off doing something else. You know, and so a midnight cry, you kind of get the feeling of aloneness with it. I do, you know, you get the feeling of this was a person who all by themselves, you know, in the darkness of their own space was really just in this deep moment of, of caring so much about something that was very clearly something internal. Because if you're by yourself and you're crying really hard, you know, in that kind of a way, it's there's something in you that this is about. It's not about the other person. It's not about something you need to do someday, which is what most people are thinking about almost all the time. This is something really deep. And there's an energy, as you said, which is that energy of longing. Energy of longing is a very powerful energy. There's this longing that we were born with that makes us move makes us get excited about anything, makes us create things. And then midnight, as you said, is the darkest time, which means that mystery that opens the portal to our energy of longing. If there is no mystery, we cannot experience the energy of longing. If it's in front of our eyes, it's not longing anymore. So just that word, midnight cries, is what we were created for. I think it's a really interesting you know, thing to note too, like we kind of referenced before, that this is a thing that's not being done very often. As soon as you hear the term midnight cry, it's, it comes up in your mind as, oh, this is rare. <laughs> And it's really fascinating, I think, to pair that idea with what you just said, which is that this is why we're here. 
And the reason why we're here is something that strangely is something that's rarely done. You know, that the few of the few really end up spending that much time practicing or thinking about, which I feel like is the direct reason why the world as a whole has so much loneliness, so much unhappiness, so much fear, so much frustration and anguish. I also love the idea that the midnight is with us every single day and that the cry is potentially with us every single day. So he wasn't saying, I was able to pave you know, the road to the wine house because I was born very special and none of you guys were. And he didn't say it was because I saw an angel once who gave me a key and said, you, Hafez, you shall be the one. <laughs> He's like, nope. The road to the wine house was paved with two things, with a midnight and with a, a cry. Midnight cries is what made Christopher Columbus, Madame Curie, Beethoven, Albert Einstein, Jesus. It's those midnight cries that we need. Yes. Without the midnight cries, nothing, no longing, no attraction, no desire. He says, I paved the road to the wine house with my midnight cries. The road to the wine house, the way into drunkenness, the way into pure ecstasy, the way into power of creativity, the way into experiencing love, all of that is paved with these midnight cries. I think the aspect of paving is also a really key, you know, signifier in there. I think you're right that it's a very short verse, but it's really packed with a lot of deep things because anybody who's ever waited in traffic before while somebody is paving the road knows this is not a simple process. This is not an overnight thing. And I think that is something that's very frustrating and deterring to a lot of people who are wanting to go, you know, to the winehouse, so to speak, to that place of power in their life. My teacher, Jerry, used to say, um, the road to the city of God appears and disappears in a dreamlike state. Beautiful. You know, and what he's calling the city of God is what Afez is referring to as the wine house. You know, and he's like, you're on the road, you're on the road, I'm on it. And then it's gone. And then it appears and then it's gone. See, he's not talking about, I use these to get to the wine house. He's talking about... I use my midnight cries to pave the road to the wine house. Mm. To pave the road to a place is different from being in the place or wanting to be in the place or hoping to be in the place. You got to pave the way to it. You got to pave the way to become Albert Einstein. You can't just snap to be Albert Einstein. You gotta pave the way to be Picasso. You can just suddenly wake up and somebody says you're Picasso. Midnight cries are what we need in order to pave the way to freedom. It sounds so simple, but dealing with the divine messages is for those who really feel like I've got to share something with other people. 
and sometimes the sharing becomes a guidance. Well, I think too, the interesting thing about using the term pave is usually, you know, you're paving a road, not even really for yourself. It's for all the other people who will come after you to make it easier, you know? And so the difference between a, a trail that's blazed and a trail that's paved is a person has understood, okay, this is an important road. This leads to an important place. This is something a lot of people should have easy access to. And again, there's like really important metaphor in the creative process there that it takes way longer to pave a road than it does to drive 70 miles an hour down it. Yes. You know, but it's like those people who listen to the midnight cries, these, these heroes you're talking about, you know, or these heroic aspects of these flawed humans, you know, which they surely were, mixes of all of it, they paved the way for us to have moments later easier than they had them sometimes. And I think it's important to throw in there that these were flawed humans. These were mixes of people. I think sometimes people separate themselves from that, the, these great people because they think, oh, well, I have flaws. Oh, well, I'm not brave all the time. I'm this, I'm that. For me, greatness is not something that you are or you aren't inherently. I think it's more like a state that you move into and you move out of. But the people we call great, I think they just had more moments of that kind of greatness than most people. And as Hafez says, he's like, I paved the way to it, which is to say, I could enter it much more easy than probably most people once this road was completed. And that's certainly been true for myself that having spent so many, 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 many moments in my life paving, 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 I find access to that space so much easier than I used to, even though theoretically it was always accessible by me. I had moments sprinkled throughout my younger life where I was in that space, but I'm in that space a lot more now than I used to be. Mm -hmm. The midnight concept, that pure darkness, is really the essence of creativity. See, we have two ways of handling it. We either want to explore deeper into finding things in the mystery, or we're afraid of the darkness and we want to run away from right. it. Most of us begin to plan how to run away from it. Yes. And that is when the brain comes into action, where your thinking comes, because you want to run away from the darkness. But if you are attracted to the darkness, your thinking is not working anymore. It's your emotion that is leading you. As you are led by your emotion, you penetrate into Winehouse, where you can have access to everything that you want. I think another really beautiful kind of aspect of this that's coming to me as you're speaking is that I've always been fascinated with the idea that people used the stars to cross the ocean because they seem to have nothing to do with each other. You know, it's, it's not a logical leap that the stars would be the thing that helped people cross the ocean. But of course, you know, and whoever were the first people that made that leap, it was pure genius. It was pure, utter genius. But you can't see the stars in the day. You see the stars at nighttime. And I think looking at the stars as metaphors of these small little points of light that are not so bright because in the day you can't even see them, but at nighttime it's dark enough. There's enough mystery that you can look up and you see these tiny little lights. And some people look up at those when they do see them at all and think, oh, that's pretty. 
And some other people look up and say, oh, this isn't just pretty. These are messages. These are important. These are telling me something. And to have received those messengers, you know, those tiny little messages, they usually don't show up in the chaos of the day. They don't show up when all of the market is happening and the, the sounds are banging, you know, and people are yelling and asking for different things. It's in the quiet, you know. It's when all the lights go down. Those are the moments when you'll, you'll feel and you'll see and you'll hear, I believe, you know, the most important and powerful navigational kind of messages to you. I think that, to me, is another aspect of the, the midnight the navigation that takes us to discover a huge island is the navigation into pure darkness. Mm -hmm. It's only a longing that gets you going. No rationality, nothing rational can help you at this point. That is why he calls it the wine house. Yes. Because this is where there is no rationality. This is where we lose our rationality. This is the way we lose the judgment, and that is where we can create. But as long as there's judgment, there's no way that one can create. Rationality is very powerful. It has its own, you know, important function. But I think what's really easy to forget about the power of rationality is it's entirely uh, based on the past. The, even the definition of rationality, you know, has to do with reference and has to do with you pulling ideas from the past or memories from the past and comparing them with the present situation. And while that does have certain values, especially in survival, as we've spoken about before, it's entirely about the past. And so somebody who is an explorer, a creator, cannot afford to have all of their eyes and all of their senses and all of their attention based on the past. Because if you do, you just keep going in loops. That's all you can possibly do. That's all you're capable of. And that, unfortunately, describes a huge percentage, you know, of time that, that humans spend is with this worship, honestly. It's a worship of attention. Because um, whatever you're giving your attention to, you're worshiping. Because your attention is your life, and there's nothing greater you can give anything than your life, you know. So when people are pouring so much of their attention into what's rational, they're really pouring their attention into history. While history has some benefits, the whole point of history is to leave it. That's the entire point of history, is to use it as a stepping stone and move beyond it, you know? And we just have this weird thing as humans where we just love to keep moving in circles and circles and circles, apparently, on this history. And that's why they say history repeats itself. But artists don't. It seems like Hafez is traveling with us because what you're saying now is pretty much what he's talking about in this verse. In the second part of the verse, he says, I placed my vigils under the feet of the beloved. I placed my vigils under the feet of my beloved. This is the next thing that is really important in having a joyful life living a free life is to direct your prayer, your attention, your desires, everything that you do. As you're eating, eat, but direct it toward your love. As you're sleeping, sleep, but direct it toward your love. As you're walking, walk, but direct it toward your love. 
as we do anything directed towards love, when we put it in the footsteps of the beloved, is when we can enter the wine house. The midnight cries paves the way. The vigils comes the threshold of getting to the wine house, to the beloved, to the freedom, to what we're in here to do and nothing else. the wise ones, I can't remember who at this particular moment, he said, do not follow in the footsteps of the men of old. Seek what they sought. And I think it's so interesting that Hafez doesn't say, follow the footsteps of the beloved. He says, right under the feet. And that is a very different, a very big difference between those two things because, and I think it's something that a lot of religious mindsets have really gotten caught up in the difference between the footsteps of Jesus or the beloved or, you know, whoever your person is and under the feet because the footsteps is where they were one time in the past. But if you put it right under the feet presently, <laughs> that means wherever the beloved is at that particular moment, that's the place to put the attention to. And I think sometimes people in religions, they'll focus these attentions on this place where God was one time and then they'll get there and they'll be like, it's the footprint, it's the footprint. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, it's the footprint. And it's like, great. But God left a sign and it was like, God was here, you know? Been here, done that, I've moved on. And to constantly be chasing where the beloved is right now. That's what I hear in that sentence is, I'm placing my energy, my attention, my longing, my prayers, for I want to be where you are right now, beloved. And beloved is not really to be limited into just one being. No. Beloved is the whole universe. Mm. And this is really what heaven is. We have everything on earth for our life. What else do we need? We have this energy of longing that drives us into experience and joy, freedom, love. As we place everything that we do during the day, whatever it is, with the emotion of love, together we are satisfying our longing or, in other words, we're adding logs to our longing to build up more fire. As we experience that intensity that develops becomes the key to joyful life. Mm -hmm becomes the key to create. One time in my journal, I was writing about, you know, traveling. And um, I'm a person who's gotten the benefit of being able to spend a lot of time exploring physically around the world, you know, seeing a lot of cities and countries and people of different kinds. One time I wrote in my journal that traveling has taught me that what I see has a lot to do with where I'm looking from, you know, and I was thinking about how when I wrote that, I was on a cliff and I was overlooking the ocean. And it was a stunning, stunning view of the sunset over the ocean, which is one of my favorites. What I was looking at at that moment, what I was seeing, had to do with the fact that I had taken the time to come out to that particular cliff. And instead of many of the things I could have been doing, I was staring at the ocean, watching the sunset go down. 
Sometimes we travel just to get to a place. Sometimes we are actually wayfaring. We're experiencing the journey. When we're looking for getting to the place, we're not really paying attention to what is around us because we're after getting to the place. Every signal that we see relates to getting to the place. Mm -hmm. So we don't really experience the environment around us. But when we're wayfaring, when we have that total freedom, feeling that I'm just traveling, I'm just going to experience things. I'm not going to get somewhere. And that just going to experience things can happen outward and inward. Sometimes we want to experience things outward. Sometimes I enjoy watching a leaf. That's a journey outward, yet I'm connecting it with my inner emotion. Journey becomes wayfaring where we're traveling, yet we're experiencing our environment around us. If that whole travel is for love, is for, for a rose to spread the scent. If we're traveling because we want to spread the scent, then we are going towards the beloved. That is where we are putting all the vigils. We're putting everything that we have gained, everything that we wished or we want to have under the feet of love. Loving along with longing makes the most joyful experience. We were created for that experience. I think something that's interesting to me in that word longing, because longing often has kind of a sad or melancholic connotation. And I think while that can be an aspect of it, there's also something beautiful and rich about, you know, savoring the, the journey, you know, that I think often doesn't come across when people just use the word longing. And I think about something really powerful about longing is that it gives you purpose. And that's one of the big things that a lot of people in life seem to be disconnected from is a sense of purpose, like what's worth doing? Why is it worth doing? And it's very clear that the brain needs a sense of purpose to experience deeper levels of, of fulfillment and joy because people want it so bad they will hook on quite easily to lesser things that from a distant view really aren't that important, such as video games. You have to get to the next level, get to the next level. People get obsessed with getting to the next level, even though at the end there really is nothing to get except for points. And what are points? Just these invisible scratches on some computer or something like that. Or people will like try to finish a Netflix series. I just need to get to the end of this series. I just need to get to the end of this series. That's how bad the brain needs purpose, is that we will latch on to these much lesser journeys that in the end really lead us back to the beginning, you know? But you look at dogs, you know, we talked about dogs being these wise geniuses last time, you know, with, with the chasing the tail forever and how that can be perfectly beautiful to them. I'm thinking now of like all of these dogs at a dog race, you know, and like they're all in the line. They can see each other in the line. They know something exciting is about to happen. 
and in the on your mark get set you know and the little hare or whatever they're about to chase as soon as it you know gets in position they all tense you know and their muscles get ready that's joy that's what i see when i see that there's a joy in that and then the firing happens they launch off and those dogs in that moment they are living their life you know they are loving it the wind is in their hair their short tiny hair (laughs) you know their eyes are squinted they're putting every single ounce of every single energy into going on that, you know? And you could keep refiring and refiring that hair a million times, and every time the dogs would be just as excited about it as they were the last time. So it's not really about catching the hair. It is about catching the hair, but it's also not about catching the hair at the same time. It's about that deep, you know, love affair that they're having with the journey of that. And I think for me, that longing that we're talking about, it doesn't mean, you know, that you have to walk around all the day crying about what you don't have. It's to me more about you are like that dog, completely devoted with every single ounce of your energy to closing the distance between you and the beloved. And when you look at anybody who's gone far in anything or ask them, how did you do it? Or look closely at how they did it invariably the biggest commonality is that they were obsessed they were obsessed with their dream they were pouring every ounce of energy into it they thought about it in the day they thought about in the night they spoke about other people you spoke to it about other people they um they dreamed about it i love the way that you describe this longing relating to sadness but Longing relates to joy as well. Both happens. How do we see the difference? What makes longing sad and what makes longing joyful? If longing relates to our personal physical capabilities or experiences, it's sad because it's either nostalgic, we go into memories of the past, or something that we want to gain it, we want to devour it, and so we might not get it. If the longing is not about some experiences of the past or some nostalgic feeling of the past, then the longing deals with expansion, which means that we want to go into becoming one with the universe rather than being separated as we have experienced before. So this longing is like Don Quixote longing to reach for the star. It's the longing that it's joyful. It's not sad. Grief, on the other hand, is sad. Grief is completely the opposite of longing. We grieve over not having something or having lost something. I think something that's really sparking to me as a way of clarification as you're saying that, because I think, you know, the language is a little bit complex here, and it is, it's, a, it's a very complex thing to try to convey these deep interwoven emotions that humans feel into a bunch of, you know, puffs of air that we call words. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. And so you get to moments like this where we're really dealing with some of the most important important aspects of the human experience. You know, why are we here? What are we doing? 
what is the way to get to the wine house? What is the way to get to the place of power? You know, what is the way to get free? These are important subjects and they're, they're difficult to navigate with these thin words that we have. But this is really being enlightening to me as you're speaking about this, because I'm hearing that that word longing, you know, that I definitely experienced a lot as a child was often associated in sadness for me. It was, you know, I had a lot of sadness in my younger years and the longing I felt for other people and for community and for God, you know, or, or whatever you want to call it, for the beloved in the many different forms that can take, there was a strong element of sadness. But I have no less longing in my life now than I did then, but I have so much less sad longing than I used to. And when I really look at what's the difference between the two, I'm seeing this metaphor of let's say you're in a long distance relationship and you live in Los Angeles and your your beloved lives in, you know, Tehran or something like that. That's a long distance between you two. And you have longing when you're separated like that. But if you have no idea when you're going back to visit her, or if you don't know if you ever ever see her again, the longing that you have is sad. But if you are going on Wednesday to see her, you get more and more excited every single day. And when you get on that plane, you have just as much longing as you did before, but it's a joyful kind of a longing, you know, because you know that you're closing the distance. And I think the biggest difference for me between the sad form of longing and, and the joyful form of longing is that there's hope. There's a hope and there's an activation of that hope because you are actively like the dog pouring yourself in you know it's like the difference between being a dog on the stands being held by somebody watching all of these other dogs get to chase this rabbit you want to go do that but you've got a leash around your neck that's a sad kind of a longing and that's when the dogs start to whine you know that's that sad kind of longing but the other dogs in the race are also in a state of longing but they're in a joyful longing hmm. they're not spending their time whining because they have hope that they are closing the distance to that. When longing is for only expansion, I'm just longing not because I don't have it. I'm longing because I want to move forward into something more joyful. This longing is just to experience something that you haven't had. It's not about having lost something it's important. that you're longing to gain it. If you're going down the river in the hope that you're going to get back to your house, mm -hmm. it's sadness because everything along the way is an experience that makes you sad and, mm. and unhappy. But if the longing is for expanding your point of view, expanding your territory, expanding your friendship, expanding your job capabilities. If it's that type of longing, then it's with joy completely. It's Huckleberry Finn on the raft. You just let it be, let it be. Something that's coming to me is, I can't remember exactly how you said this, but you said it to me one time in a very beautiful moment. You know, you said, the one who has taken me to here, you know, will not just leave me now, you know? And I think for me, that's a really pivotal moment 
to come to in a person's life that I think most people probably never even get to, you know, but to me, that's the moment when it switches from the grief into the hope, hopeful, you know, longing is because when I was younger and a kid, I had all of this longing, but I didn't ever know that it could ever come true, you know, that what I was seeking could ever be found. But when I started having moments where I found the beloved, I was in the presence of the beloved, and I was changed by those moments, once you've felt that, some piece of you just fundamentally changes and can never entirely believe that 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 you won't return, you know? It's almost like, I can't remember what myth it was, but it's probably in several of them. There are these places that if you ever get there, once you've gotten there, you'll definitely uh, return. You know, whoever has, whoever has tasted of these waters will come again to taste of them again, you know? So for me, that's the moment of switch, you know? That's the moment that, and it wasn't just, I would say, a single moment. It's a series of moments where I entered into that state of connection with the beloved from different angles, from different avenues um because i do remember actually earlier in my in my journey i entered it and i found it and then i lost it and i was like oh no how did i lose this i just had this you know it goes back to what jerry says about the road you know to the city of god appears and disappears in a dreamlike state but for me i think over the years as i started to develop a confidence that even though i couldn't see it it was about to reappear I think for me, the sadness started draining away and just the longing of moving as fast as I could, as as funly as I could, as joyfully as I could to the next moment where I would see it appear in front of me. And so I think I'm curious from you, you know, to our listeners who are on that journey uh, like I am, what would you say about that moment, you know, when, or that series of moments when you knew that, you know, the one who has brought me to here, you know, will not leave me now. Like, how did that develop in you? The most important thing is to surrender. If there is even a little doubt, you're not going to get there. The journey is really about cutting off these chains one after another. As you experience something that is to you something impossible, mm -hmm. then your surrender becomes stronger. The first experience that I had to go through was to know that there is an energy beyond my capabilities. To become convinced of that, hmm. I began to experience what would I feel if I was in two-dimensional realm. How would I see things? If I was just a surface, I wouldn't know what things are to begin with. Mm -mm. As you go beyond the first dimension into the second dimension, mm -hmm. and now we're in the third dimension, obviously there are dimensions mm -hmm. on and on to infinity. Beautiful. I began to experience there is a fourth dimension that has the total control of everything that I do, just like I have the control of a two-dimensional world mm. that I look at. So the fourth dimension is experiencing, observing what we're doing and taking it into fifth dimension as well. Mm. 
as we help that journey into the next dimension, we become that vessel, that wire that it's needed along the path to continue the journey for humanity, for existence, for life itself. My experience has been to recognize things as I go through them, observe them. Miracles constantly happens. Every breath that we take is a miracle. Yes. So looking at that miracle and experiencing that miracle, it that recognition that you are a miracle yourself. Yes, yes. So surrender to being a miracle mm. and stay out of the way. Mm. Staying out of the way is the experience that we need to go through. My experience is always with my art. As I'm painting something from my own mind, I know that I screw up. It's that moment of I'm nobody, I'm nothing, is when we allow the power to take over. When you say I'm nothing is when you become a blank canvas and ready for the great master to paint on it. There is a fourth dimension as well as there is four billionth dimension. If it goes to two dimensions, it's going to be a third dimension. <laughs> so recognizing that there is that power that guides me, yeah. and I'm nobody, I'm nothing, begins to allow us to surrender more and experience more things that we're talking about. I think that's a really strong and clear way to describe what surrender is in a way that I've actually never really heard it. Because as you know, I've been on my own journey of really trying to understand that word and more than understand it, embody it in my life. I've come a long way in the last year on that journey, but what you said just then really kind of clarified something that I think is beautiful, and that is that there's a strong connection, you know, between uh, what you're calling surrender and uh, being aware of the miraculous nature of all existence, which the feeling of being aware of the miraculous nature of anything I would call joy. And so when you're in a state of joy, it's because you're aware of the miraculous nature of the leaf you're looking at or of the love of your life or of your own fingers, you know, and just how perfectly that they're made, you know. And so to me, that is what ties it all together is, is joy. And I've been on this journey. When people say, what do you do? It's such a complicated answer. So I usually just say, I study joy. That's usually what I say because I have so many different companies and projects all doing so many wildly different things, but the one commonality is they're all studies of joy, you know, and um, this thing that uh, Albert Einstein said, you know, about um, there's two ways to see the world. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. To me, that's what this is all about, you know, and so even earlier when you said you can't advance if there's any doubt you can't advance unless you're in complete surrender. I just want to add to that by saying you only advance in moments of complete surrender. You only advance in moments when there is no doubt because I've had tons of doubt in my life. I regularly was in spaces of doubt. So I think it's just important to, to designate you know, to people that are listening. If you have doubt right now, you're not bad. That's not shameful. We all have to move through the, that series. But just be aware that it's not in moments of doubt that you move forward. It's in these moments where 
you know, the city of God appears for just a second in a dreamlike state. And so you take a leap and that moment matters. And, and the long journey of this is really just about accumulating moments like that until they start building up and building up and building up and this road gets paved. So it becomes easier and easier for you to access that. But it's a slow thing sometimes. And sometimes a single step could take somebody 10 years. But that one step that they make after 10 years of trying is worth all of the steps before and many million times more because those kinds of steps are different kind of steps. They're very special yeah. kind of steps. Yeah. And, you know, it, your own life, as I have followed it, shows that process that you've gone through. There is that tremendous shift that you took. And now you're really spreading joy. And through spreading joy is where your joy increases. Through spreading seeds is when we make a forest. Mm -hmm. But if I just want to break the seed and eat the thing inside the seed or, or throw it away, I cannot make the forest. And I think all the people who follow you really, truly live that whole concept of spreading joy everywhere that you go. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Niklas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community.